Amen. Thank you, Renee. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn to the book of Romans, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 and beginning in verse 1. Again, if you need a Bible, feel free to grab one and keep one there in the back. We have been going through a series, this is now our third week of six, going through a series called Values, considering what is it that God has specifically and uniquely called New City Church to do as a church among the mosaic of churches that God has placed in the world, but also in our city? We cannot do everything, nor are we called to do everything, but what are the passions, what are the gifts, what are the callings that the Lord Jesus Christ has placed locally on New City Church to fulfill? And so we began by looking three weeks ago at proclaiming grace, that that is one of our core values, that who we are and what we're supposed to do and be is to proclaim grace. Last week we looked at praying dependently, that not only is prayer incredibly powerful, incredibly important, but the way, the posture in which we pray is one of dependence, and that's a joyful dependence, recognizing that we absolutely need Jesus, and we're thankful that not only do we have a need, but Jesus has met beyond our ability to comprehend that need. This morning, we look at living sacrificially, and we're going to use Romans chapter 12 that uses those exact words to consider what does it mean for us as Christ followers to live sacrificially in this world following the example and the gift and the grace of Jesus. So I'm going to begin by reading to us what we uh, most often hear from Romans 12, which is verses 1 and 2. And we'll take a moment and we'll pray and we'll walk through that. But my goal is to get us through the entire Romans chapter 12. And what we'll see is that Paul has written that such that the remainder of the chapter is actually the application of verses 1 and 2. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 now. Romans chapter 12 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's take a moment. Let's go back to Jesus this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. May it be a lamp to our feet, a light unto our path. Lord, we submit ourselves to your holy and inerrant word. Lord, speak to us by your Holy Spirit this morning and lead us and teach us. Draw us closer to your heart, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Four ways this morning in which the Scripture teaches us that we can live sacrificially. Now, Paul begins with the most important thing, which I appreciate and is incredibly critical that we grasp the first point here that that Paul's going to walk us through, and that is this, living sacrificially, to live sacrificially by Christ's merciful sacrifice for you. If we are doing it out of our own strength or ability, it will never work. It will never last. Live sacrificially by Christ's merciful sacrifice for you. He begins by saying this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore. Now, anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture or even in conversation, you should stop and you should ask, what is the word therefore, therefore, right? You need to understand what is the point of him making this transitional statement. And the reason is this, that after 11 chapters in the book of Romans of the greatest exposition of the gospel in all of Scripture, now we have hit a transitional moment. So if you had gone through the first 11 chapters, you would have heard things like Romans 1.16, it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. 
You would have heard Romans 2.4, the riches of God's kindness and patience lead you to repentance. You would have heard Romans 3.23, that all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption in Christ, who put forth His own life as a payment for sin. You would have heard Romans 5.1, therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now in Romans 12 and verse 1, he is saying, therefore, because he's moving from this amazing exposition of the gospel to an exhortation to live what you have heard, to take the gospel that has changed your life and to now move into living it and sharing this beautiful gospel with others. But the point that we should not miss is that the only true foundation of living sacrificially is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Outside of that, it will become dry. It will become self-righteous. It will become out of you rather than out of the Lord, and it will die. We are not looking for something moralistic. We are not looking for something self-righteous. We are looking for the power of the gospel in our lives. And that makes sense because Jesus did not come simply to, be, to, to improve your behavior. He did not come because you have somehow earned his attention by becoming just a little bit better of a person. He came in grace. The Bible says that we live sacrificially by the mercies of God. Do not miss that all-important statement by the mercies of God. Many of you have heard of Corrie ten Boom. She was a part of a Christian family that was saving Jews during the World War II, uh, saving Jews from Nazi Germany. Eventually, she and her family were caught and were themselves put into a Nazi death camp. By the end of the war, Corrie was the only survivor in her family. But after the war, she was able to return to Germany, and she began sharing the gospel in churches. And one day after a church service in which the gospel had been proclaimed, she was standing talking to people after the service, when out of the corner of her eye, she saw a man standing afar, and it turned out that that man was the German soldier that had stripped her and her family in the chambers when they had first arrived at this death camp. When she saw him, she absolutely froze in fear but also in anger. And, and for what felt like an eternity, she just sat and stood at him, not knowing what to do. But by the grace of God, she was able to walk over to that very German Nazi soldier and look him in the face and say, I forgive you. I forgive you for what you've done. And as tears began to pour into his eyes, he was able to then share with her that he knew the injustice of what he had done, and that he himself had given his life to Jesus as personal Lord and Savior as well. I forgive you. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. That is the power of forgiveness, and Corey ten Boom in that moment showed mercy and it is the mercies of God that have made us holy and acceptable because outside of Christ, we are that soldier, right? We are guilty just like that soldier, but by God's mercy, we can be instead another Cory ten Boom story. Jesus presented himself as a living and dying sacrifice for us. He paid the penalty for sin so that anyone who will believe can be saved. And so, seeker, I say to you this morning, will you relent of your self-reliance and turn to King Jesus, who has already done the work for you? He has already died on the cross and paid the penalty for sin. All you have to do is believe by faith, says the good news of the gospel. Receive him today as your Savior and as your Lord. 
The Bible goes on to say, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I say again to you that living sacrificially out of anything other than Jesus' sacrifice will leave you empty, dry, burned out, and it is a reason that so many people in our day walk away from the church because what they are doing is not being filled up by Jesus. There's a poster I earned for memorizing Psalm 100 when I was in third grade Sunday school class. The irony of that poster was that I genuinely believed that I was earning God's favor by my hard work of memorizing Psalm 100 and all six verses contained therein. I thought, man, God is incredibly impressed by my work, but that poster means something to me. And over the years, as I came to know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, somehow that poster did not get too lost and I found it. And I still have it, and it hangs on my wall. And what I didn't earn in 1991 in Sunday school class still hangs on that wall, and it it explains perfectly the reality that I didn't understand then, but by God's grace, I understand now. He died for me, therefore I will live for Him. He died for me, therefore, out of His grace, out of the riches of His mercy, I will live for Him. Right? The order matters, not the other way around. Live sacrificially by Jesus' merciful sacrifice for you. Number two, live sacrificially a life transformed by God. This is verse two now. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And this is where we start to get uncomfortable as we consider the application of the gospel into our lives. Why is Christianity, I'll use the word failing, in America today, not that the gospel is failing, not that God is failing, why is it that in our country, it seems like in the last year or so that America has become 10 years more post-Christian? Why is it hard to see real conversions in this land? It is a fact that church involvement, church attendance, and numbers of churches are shrinking. It is a fact in this country that many denominations continue to move more and more theologically liberal and reject the very foundations that Jesus himself is God, that Jesus himself is the Savior of the world. Why do these things happen? But I'd rather us ask even a different question in light of this passage, which is why is it that when we look at the church of Jesus Christ around the world, particularly in cities, in countries, in places where there is persecution, where there is struggle, that we see, in fact, the opposite. That God is absolutely still on His throne, and we see thriving churches. We see mass conversions. We see believers who die for their faith on a daily basis, and yet behind them, God raises up new believers, more believers. They don't run in fear, but rather they are inspired by the power of the gospel to follow faithfully, even in places where persecution by false religions and by governments is daily life, even in places where poverty is real, where struggle is of a level that we ourselves, for the most part, have never experienced. Because as American Christians, I believe, we tend to skip Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We need both. But we miss verse 2. We skip the living sacrificially part. Because as an American church, we are conforming to the world. Paul says, do the opposite. Like the rich young ruler who walked away from Jesus disappointed because he didn't really want to give up his comforts, his money, or his self-righteousness. 
It is very easy for us. God gives blessings. There's nothing wrong with blessings. But when we focus more on the big house and the easy weekends, and if I can imagine it, then it should be mine, we miss out on the joy of living sacrificially for the gospel. And guys, we know the truth. We know that greed and envy and chasing those things ultimately will not satisfy. So many people, their story, I gained it all, I earned it all, I experienced it all, and it was nothing. Paul says it's trash compared to knowing Jesus. I love what Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 9. It's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Luke 9, 23 through 25. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? As you cannot keep the American dream, it will not last. This week we took our 2005 Ford Exploder into the shop to get our third transmission. Why? Because stuff doesn't last. The American dream does not last, even though... It was the Eddie Bauer edition. It's still falling apart. The Bible says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you want to be a nonconformist, if you want to reject the mainstream, this is the way. Do not conform to the world. Rather, be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because Jesus says, I have something way better for you than just this something that lasts eternally, love, peace, hope, joy, lives changed, lives healed, lives saved, the Son of God. I have something better for you. To use the painting metaphor, Ken will appreciate this. Ken is a painter, right? Painting Uh, We're not talking just about painting the outside of the house. If we're thinking about our lives and our heart, we're not talking about just painting that. We're talking about total interior renovation taking place, that we renew our heart and our mind, not just I'll be a nicer person, as great as that may sound, but rather Jesus has done for me what I could never do myself, and out of that reality, I just want to live for him, and I want others to experience that same grace as well. How does it happen? Well, the Bible says to be transformed. For all you English majors, that verb is in the passive voice that's on purpose. It means let the Holy Spirit transform you. Again, that's the power of God's grace. He transforms you. It says it explicitly in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Not only, though, is it in the passive voice, look out, it's in the imperative mood. Are you ready for this? So what does that mean? It means your job is to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean earn your salvation? No. It means that the Holy Spirit is doing in you what you could never do yourself and cooperate with it. And in our lives and our experiences, we know exactly what it feels like to go, I know, Lord, that that's what you want, but I don't want it as much at the moment. And the Bible is saying, let the Spirit work in you and cooperate with his work in your life. And the result is the remainder of 
Romans 12. The Bible says, by testing, you may discern the Lord's will. What is the Lord's will? Some of y'all are running around with your heads caught off going, man, I just need to know the Lord's will for my life. He wrote it. It's here. It's in the word of God. Let's look at the rest of Romans 12 where Paul literally says the, the, the will of God. Okay, well, what, what is it then? Number three. Held up two fingers, but I meant three. Number three. <laughs> Live sacrificially. Probably didn't see this coming. Towards Christ's church. Paul is going to continue to teach us under the power of the Holy Spirit to live sacrificially towards Christ's church. Just listen to what the Word of God here says. This is verses 3 through 13. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. There's a lot there. That's a powerful list. I just want to give you three observations that, that stand out here from what Paul is instructing us to. The first, he talks about unity and diversity. This is verses 3 through 5, that he gives us this powerful image of both taking place. And Paul begins by saying that the enemy of biblical unity in the church, the enemy of biblical diversity in the church is pride. It's thinking more highly of yourself than of anyone else. It requires sacrifice. If we want to live sacrificially, if we want to love Christ's bride, which is who we're talking about, the church, I'm talking about a building, I'm talking about a people. If we want to love God's children, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, then we have to remember that our true unity is in the fact that Jesus loves us, we needed it, and we didn't deserve it. And in turn, we can then love each and every member, every diverse member of the family of God. It is a sacrifice to value someone else more than yourself. As we think about our daily lives, we can come up with many examples of the opposite. Me first, you second. I didn't have to teach my kids that, by the way. It's a sacrifice to come together in unity and put aside, hear me, put aside lesser things that will split us apart rather than saying we have everything that we need in common because we have Jesus. He is the thing that will bring true unity. It's a sacrifice to live that way. It's a sacrifice to value God's purposeful, intentional plan of diversity within the church. You only accomplish both well in and through 
Christ. And as we can see, the world cannot figure it out. Unfortunately, the, the church tends to conform to the world. And the Bible says, be renewed in your heart and mind and transformed by the Holy Spirit. Then he takes that, that unity and diversity in the church and says, put it to work by using your gifts to serve. This is verses 6 through 8, essentially. Use your gifts to serve. And he is right now talking about the church, the family of God. I will say, and I say this humbly, that one of the more devastating effects of the last 13 months of coronavirus is that we all as a culture have become more comfortable with putting ourselves first. We will very easily, because our hearts tend that way, push away others, isolate, and become a mountain unto ourselves, and that is not God's plan. Now, hear me very carefully. I am not critiquing anybody's precautions or safety or approach or opinion about the pandemic. What I am saying is that God is not surprised by crisis. He is not surprised by suffering of any kind, and He does not say, you should follow me and live the way that Jesus lives unless it's inconvenient for you. He says the opposite. Jesus has given everything. Take up the joy of loving and serving others. Now, may that look differently during a pandemic? Certainly. But do not give up the joy of serving your fellow members of the church. Here, there are seven gifts that are, are listed. It is not an exhaustive list, but it is a list. Paul does this multiple times in Scripture, and we get different lists in different places in the Scripture. But I'm going to boil that list of seven down to sort of two general categories. The first is lovingly speaking the truth of the gospel. He says prophecy, teaching, exhortation, leadership are all ultimately lovingly speaking the truth of the gospel. And many of you are incredibly gifted to listen to somebody when they're struggling and, and speak godly counsel into their lives. Use your gift. We need you in the church. Many of you are gifted in a loving way to say it the way it is, to light a fire under somebody and point them towards Jesus. That's exhortation. If you have that gift, use it. Many of you are gifted to lead. We need city groups here at New City Church. We lost them because of the pandemic. We want to bring them back. There is an element of leading in the church where we put others first, and we teach the Scripture. Or maybe you're called to lead and teach our teens or our kids to teach them how to know and follow Jesus. I sat on Friday in what was essentially the farewell chapter uh, chapel for Covenant Christian School, a ministry that has served for the last 28 years, and they, they invited all of their present teachers as well as teachers from the past. And it was just this incredibly humbling and powerful moment to see this great cloud of witnesses gathered together who have done just that. They have taught lovingly the gospel to generations of children. I was both a student who received that teaching, and I was a teacher later on in life who co-labored with them. But what a powerful testimony to see these believers who had given their lives to do this work. Paula taught kindergarten for 28 of the 28 years of Covenant Christian School because she loved those kids, and every single one of them, she wanted them to know Jesus. ABCs too, but Jesus. That's what the gospel is talking about here. But second, there's this other category. Paul gives us the words service, generosity, and mercy. Now, I know some of us would rather die than public speak, right, or, or teach in some sort of format like this, 
But for others of us, we find it equally hard to give away, to share what we have, to see a need and to step into that need and meet it. The, the great thing is the Bible invites us into both. It invites us into the uncomfortable because Jesus knows that there is far greater joy when we get to live a little bit the way that Jesus has lived for us. Listen to, Paul gives a highlight of this perspective, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. What's the picture here? The picture is that these are believers who have very little of anything. They are going through difficult times, and yet they are filled with an extravagant joy that leads them to give away everything that they have in order to love and serve, be generous and hospitable to those around them in the church. They love the bride of Christ that much that they love living sacrificially. And this can, can take place in an array of ways. Earlier this week, I was asked by a former student of mine if, um, if I would support their missions trip. They want to do a, a summer missions trip to Japan. And my wife and I made a decision a long time ago, and I made the decision before we even met, that any time a student or former student, youth grouper, now today, you know, member of my church, whomever, any time somebody came to me and said, will you give financially so that I can go abroad and be a part of foreign missions, the answer was always going to be yes. The question was not going to be, what do I have? The answer was just going to be, yeah, absolutely. Because I know the joy that they're about to experience when they get outside of their comfort zone and that their heart and mind is transformed as they see the power of the gospel at work somewhere that they've never been. It is an incredible moment and an experience. And God says here that he loves a cheerful giver. Last year, my family and I, we hit a minor bump in the road financially. And um, Within that week of just us sort of having some, some private personal conversations about it, $500 in an envelope showed up under my doormat of my front door. I don't know who gave it to us. I'm confident it was one of you by God's grace. They took joy in giving. Certainly, we took joy in receiving, but I believe that their joy was exponentially greater because they saw a need within the church family and they wanted to meet it. I don't know how they did it. I just know that they did it and God blessed it. Who would the Lord put on your mind to serve, to meet a need, to care for, to show mercy to, to share your resources with, to serve extravagantly, to show mercy freely? I do know that God will always outprovide you. Jesus will always out-sacrifice you. He will always out-generous you. My personal testimony and experience is absolutely that. God has never failed. He's never let me down. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The Bible means it. I've, I've said I wanted to give you guys an application each week as we walk through these six values that there might be a practical, this week, let's focus in and do this. And so my challenge to you this week is that in the name of Jesus, that you would sacrificially bless someone with a gift, whether that be generosity or mercy hospitality, but that in the name of Jesus that you would sacrificially bless someone this week. The Bible invites us to it. It's a joy. And what's interesting is Paul gives us in verses 3 through 13, how do we love the church, the bride of Christ? 
but he doesn't end there, does he? Fourth and finally, live sacrificially towards Christ's world. Live sacrificially towards Christ's world. Listen to verses 14 to 21 to finish out Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Bless those who persecute you. Pastor David Platt, many of you have heard of him. Uh, Baptist pastor here in the United States, he spent Friday night at an online conference that his church hosted with over 50,000 people attending online. The event was called Secret Church. This is a summary on the website of what Secret Church, what that moment was. It says, encouraged by our persecuted brothers and sisters example, we meet for over six hours for intense study of God's word and passionate prayer for the persecuted. And then we respond in action and giving for the sake of the persecuted and the unreached around the world. And as he taught for the greater part of that six hours, among other things, he said this, God has the power to save. The gospel has power to transform. The church has the power to change the world. In the face of opposition, this commission will one day be accomplished. And this world will one day be new. Amen. The Bible repeatedly tells us that to follow Jesus is to live sacrificially towards the world. And the world as a whole will at various times and various ways attack you, marginalize you, judge you, lie about you. In some places in the world, kill you. And yet Jesus says this, love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That means more than not swearing at them, right? It doesn't mean don't cuss at them, although it does mean that. It means rather than having a mentality of, Lord, I want you to destroy them, rather than having an attitude of, I will do whatever I can to personally destroy them, it's saying not only change your internal heart attitude, but to desire their success, to desire their blessing, and to live it out. Jesus didn't say pray that they would be fed. He said feed them. Wow. To live sacrificially would be to feed my enemies. And that that is a much bigger picture than just simply food that we put in our mouth. There's there's a reality of loving our enemies. And man, is that uncomfortable. Man, does that require living sacrificially. But if we have realized that Jesus Christ took all of my sin, all of my guilt, that I was an enemy of God myself, deserving His justice, and Jesus paid the entire penalty so that I wouldn't have to and then gave me his perfect righteous life to replace it, then all of a sudden, yes, I can love my enemies. I can love people that I disagree with. 
I can love people that I argue with. I can love people that I fight with in one way or another because I want them to know Jesus more than I want to win the argument, the discussion, whatever it might be. The Bible says in verse 15, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Weep with those who are weeping. It is a sacrifice, isn't it, to enter into someone else's grief. Especially if you're hurting yourself, how do I weep with someone else? But to put them first and say, I will meet you where you are at and I will cry with you. Or if you are rejoicing and I don't want to rejoice about it, I will rejoice and celebrate with you. Because the gospel changes us. The opposite of rejoicing is envy. Lord Jesus changed my heart so that rather than envying somebody who is happy, that I would rejoice with them. The opposite of of weeping is gloating. Lord Jesus changed my heart so that when someone else is grieving, whether I agree with them or not, that I wouldn't stand over them and laugh in victory, but that I would weep with those who weep. This is not talking about our best buddy. This is talking about our enemies. In our country right now, we have lost that. Let the church of Jesus Christ be the one who leads the way and shows us what it looks like to weep with those who are weeping and to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And then Paul ends by saying, overcome evil with good. 18 through 21, he basically says the same thing over and over and over again in different ways because it's such an important thing. Overcome evil with good. Our heart's natural inclination is to overcome more evil with getting even with more evil. My kids learn that. I didn't have to teach them. But the Bible says be renewed by the Holy Spirit and do just the opposite. The New Testament commentary by Dr. Hendrickson says this, in a world of peace-breaking, this beatitude shows what a thoroughly relevant, vital, and dynamic force Christianity really is. True peacemakers are all those whose leader is the God of peace, who aspire after peace with everyone, who proclaim the gospel of peace and pattern their lives after the Prince of Peace. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, enemies can become friends. And that's the desire. That's the vision of the gospel. Strangers can become neighbors. The fatherless can become beloved children of the living God. And we're called into that sacrifice. We cannot do it ourselves. Jesus has done absolutely everything. But by his sacrifice, we have been called to join him, to reflect in some small way the beauty of what Jesus has done, and it is all about him, but by his grace that we might show grace, that we might ourselves live sacrificially. We've been given a free gift. It's absolutely free. And we've been given the gift of gaining everything, gaining the whole world, seeing people come to know Jesus, and we're willing to give away anything to make it happen. Amen. Let's take a moment. Let's go to our good, generous, merciful Heavenly Father this morning.